Welcome to Seen and Heard in Edmonton, a podcast about bloggers and podcasters in the capital city of Alberta. I'm your host, Karen Unland, and today we have the audio from our March podcasting meetup, where we explored how to get more people to listen to local podcasts with Chris Changyan Phillips of Let's Find Out and Katrina Ingram of CKUA. Before we get into the show, I want to thank our terrific partners. Studio Theatre at the University of Alberta is putting on the world premiere of Bright Burning at the Tim Center from March 30th to April 8th. Get your tickets at ualberta.ca slash arts slash shows. Variant Editions sells comics and books and hosts many fantastic meetups, including ours. You can visit them at variantedmonton.com. Thanks as well to Cafe Rista for catering, and you can check them out at caferista.ca. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Castria, where award-winning podcasters help you record, edit, and publish your podcast. You'll hear more from Erica and Stephen from Castria later in the show. And now, on with the meetup. So welcome to the 13th Edmonton Podcasting Meetup. Today we are going to talk about how to increase the podcast listening pie, especially for locally made podcasts. This is inspired a little bit by the tripod movement, which a lot of big podcasters in the States um, did this month to, to sort of encourage people who like podcasts to get other people to listen to podcasts. And I think I love that. But you know me, I care about local, and <laughs> so I really want to make sure that we grab some ear share for the local guys too, and that's why we're here. Uh, all right, so please welcome my guest, Chris Chang and Phillips, is Edmonton's historian laureate and the host of Let's Find Out, which is a podcast where he investigates listeners' questions about Edmonton's history. He's also news coordinator at CJSR and uh, did some time at CBC too, and so he's got a strong radio pedigree. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Please. <laughs> Please welcome Chris. Yeah, that's nice. And to his right is Katrina Ingram. She's the interim CEO of CKUA Radio, um, which became Canada's first public broadcaster way back in 1927. So it's got a lot of roots here. She's become a student of what is happening in the podcasting industry over the past few years. As you mentioned, that's something the guys in the mainstream need to pay attention to. Uh, and she's been working with me to figure out a way forward for a local podcast network. Please welcome Katrina. Okay, so I, w I want you guys to answer the same question. What was your first podcast? What made you get into podcasting as a listener? Um, I got into listening to podcasts through CBC, I believe. Um, I was listening to a lot of CBC on the radio, and then I heard that it was possible to get some of the stuff available offline. So I think ideas and as it happens were probably the first things that I downloaded as podcasts. And I think the first shows that I listened to that were designed for the podcasting medium were Radiolab, because my aunt had recommended it to me, and... Um, they did, started to do some stuff that wasn't fit for broadcast medium, and I thought that was kind of neat. And yeah. then there was one called um, Shauna Cast or Shauna Pod or something. Um, it was this guy who was from England, and his wife was from Zimbabwe. So she was trying to teach him to speak Shauna, and it was neat just overhearing their conversations. Wow. 
Katrina. And my first podcast was a podcast called Frank Reactions. A friend of mine, Tema Frank, started podcasting probably about five or six years ago. And she said, Katrina, you have to listen to my podcast. <laughs> so that was my very first one. Um, but like many of you, um, I'm a big fan of NPR. I'm a big fan of CBC. And I started listening to things that I couldn't catch on the radio because I wasn't available to listen to them in real time. So that's when I really started getting into podcasting. But we do not underestimate the value of us going to our friends and saying, you have to listen to my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It works. Once in a while, it works. Uh, Okay. So, Chris, why did you start becoming a podcaster? Why did you start? Let's find out. Oh, uh, I started becoming a podcaster previous to Let's Find Out uh, because I liked the medium of audio and wanted to experiment with it. I don't know about you, but I was one of those people who downloaded Audacity and just played around with my own voice for a while. Um, So the first podcast that I did was a two-episode run that was a total ripoff of Planet Money. Um, Oh, wow. Is it still alive? I want to listen to that. You could probably find some MP3s (laughs) somewhere on one of those sites that scrapes them. Um, It was called Money Undressed. Um, and a friend and I made it just because we were really curious about the financial collapse. And uh, she and I both worked at the student newspaper at our university. Uh, so we thought it'd be fun to try out podcasting for ourselves. Um, and Let's Find Out um, is sort of, uh, uh, it, it's the fulfillment of the promise that I made when I um, applied to become historian laureate for the city, which was, um, hey, you want a cheerleader for people who want to learn about history in the city. And I have some experience in this medium that previous historians laureate haven't used before, which is podcasting. And I thought I might be able to get some people interested in local history who aren't already part of the little heritage community. Excellent. Um, So what were your listenership goals when you pitched that? Uh, I didn't have numbers that I gave them. Um, I had uh, an idea of wanting to impact the public conversation in the city. Um, So uh, the listenership is growing, which is great. Um, And I'm hoping that it grows a lot more uh, as time goes on. Um, But also the the reach of the podcast, um, I've been very lucky that it has gone far beyond what is reflected in how many people listen to the episodes because um, a lot of the stories that I've covered have been talked about on radio or in articles online or through like heritage organizations linking to them and sort of summarizing stories. So um, my goals are not necessarily to get people to listen to every single MP3, but to get people talking about and thinking about the stories and the um, journey that my question askers go on. Uh, So yeah, I've been lucky that uh, I have the reach for the podcast and then this kind of circle of other reach around it. So how big is your audience, do you think, for the podcast itself? The podcast itself um, is in the hundreds right now. It's like four to five hundred per episode. Um, and yeah, some of the stuff around it has, has gone a lot further bigger, too. Bigger, yeah, yeah. The ripple effect that yeah. goes out. Yeah. Um, you often encourage your listeners to tell a friend. So you're, you're, you're doing, that's part of what made me want to have you here is that you are being a lot more deliberate than a lot of us about um, trying to get people to recruit other people. So do you feel like, what, what kind of reaction do you get from that? Uh, I, I, the most exciting reaction I get uh, is when people approach me with a question. Um, often they have heard about the podcast through someone and they, they are really curious about something about local history and they don't know how to find out the answer yet. So that has been one of my goals 
for the podcast as well as being a historian lord is get people um, to move past just curiosity into actively seeking it out. So that's been really exciting. Um, I think the other thing that has kind of been exciting for me in getting people tapped in through like, hey, uh, tell me about your network or tap me into your network is um, I cover areas of local history that um, don't get a lot of press otherwise. Like I did a podcast about the Edmonton Nature Club and how they are some of the only people who've ever documented the disappearance of Beaver Hill Lake near Tofield. Um, so there are lots of people who are connected to the birding world and the Edmonton Nature Club who I don't think usually listen to podcasts, but because I rode on the school bus with them and did this little history of them, I know that they've been sharing that episode with, with their network. And that's another source of those um, stones that make ripples is your guests, right? You're, like the people that you have on your podcast, they at least get their circle to listen to them, one hopes. Um, Katrina, what strikes you about the growth of podcasting listenership over the past few years, especially in Canada? Because you've mm -hmm. been paying a lot of attention to that. I have been. And I, I know we're all lamenting, why isn't it growing faster? Why aren't more people listening to podcasts? I don't think it's been that bad. And I think if you put it in the bigger context of, I don't know, something like radio or television, you think about how many decades it took for adoption to happen for radio and television. And granted, there were, were different kinds of barriers um, in trying to get adoption for those mediums. But you look at podcasting and 10 years ago, you know, the term podcast might have only resonated with six, seven, maybe 8% of the population. Now it's at something like 60% based on some of the latest research coming out of uh, the infinite dial uh, research paper by Edison. So you look at those statistics and go, wow, that's pretty good for something in the last decade. But maybe we're comparing it to something like Facebook, which in the last decade has had all kinds of uptake. However, is it an accurate comparable? You look at something like Facebook, it's driven by one company that has a big agenda. There's a lot of rationale for them to get behind um, having people adopt Facebook, where this is more like an ecosystem. I would say it's more like radio, it's more like television. So I don't think it's really been too bad in terms of adoption. Um, but as the demand has gone up, the supply has gone up maybe faster, right? And so how do you see the challenge around grabbing ear share? It's a huge challenge. And uh, I was going to I was going to be the negative voice here in terms of tripod. <laughs> I just want to gauge you guys are all very involved in the podcast community. How many people of you how many of you have heard of tripod before today? Okay, I'm gonna Quite I'm gonna just do like what do you think thirty percent? Yeah, yeah. Thirty percent of the audience who is super engaged in podcasting has heard about the campaign Tripod. So I think that says something. So this is a campaign that came out of uh, mostly the NPR world to say we got to get more people listening to podcasts. So we're gonna do this um, hashtag Tripod campaign. We're gonna create some ads and we're gonna get everybody to put this on their podcast and get more people to learn about podcasting. And I don't know if that's really the most successful way to do things. Personally, I think they're up against a huge battle. Um, when you think about the average person, it's really about finding content that they want. And the podcast piece is somewhat incidental. So as Chris is talking about uh, people who are really into birding, they'll do anything to get that great content about birding. And if that content happens to be on Chris's podcast, well, that's wonderful. They're probably going to go check it out. But to, just to say to someone, well, you should just check out podcasts in general, that feels a little meaningless to me. Yeah, but I feel like that's how I got in, right? Like the, the, that one NPR got me in and then I realized 
oh, I can program my own listening. I don't have to be beholden to what's on the radio when it is. And so, and I can be in control. And then I just started listening to every single podcast that I could find that I would like, right? Yes, but you also said earlier that you're probably not the normal average person. So I I would say that might be part of it. Um, When you think about, I'm a marketer by trade, so I I think about things in marketing terms. And when you think about the product adoption life cycle, it's, it's this bell curve that marketers have to show how products get adopted. And at the beginning of that are the Um, the early adopters of the innovators. Those are the people that are the first on to any kind of new trend. And then you kind of go through the curve and you get into the early majority, the folks who are, yeah, a bunch of people have tried it. Now I'm ready to jump in. Then you get into your later majority. And at the very end are the laggards, the people who are probably still listening to AM radio and who probably called me when (laughs) when we shut down our AM three years ago to say, what are you doing? We're still on AM. Um, Those people may, may never try something new. I would say that podcasting itself probably is getting into that early majority kind of a a range, but it it feels like that's a natural cycle for any kind of uh, new technology is you have to go through those innovators like yourself, Karen, and kind of get to the majority. And I think we're, we're getting there with podcasting. On the local front, there, it seems to me that there's some extra challenges. Like Chris, your show is really mostly interesting to people who live in Edmonton. So um, a few hundred people out of, um, you know, the gr- group of people in Edmonton who know what a podcast is, is actually really good, right? Um, but still an uphill battle to get people to be aware of local podcasts when you guys don't have budget, like big budgets for marketing. You don't have um, big networks like Radiotopia or, or Panoply. So what do you think needs to be done, Katrina, to get um, a bigger share of listening time for local I would say instead of focusing on that goal directly, focus on it a little indirectly. Um, the the thousand true fans concept comes to mind. So this is a, a article written by Kevin Kelly many years ago. And he talked about this idea of artists needing a thousand true fans. These are your super fans. These are the people who would go to any lengths to consume whatever that product is that you're producing. And if you can get a thousand true fans, the hypothesis is that if you have each of those fans pay you, say, a hundred dollars a year, well, that's a hundred thousand dollars, and that's a living for average people. So instead of, of focusing directly on that end goal of listenership, I would focus indirectly by saying, what is the value that I can bring through this content that I'm delivering so that I can reach those thousand true fans? And I think by doing that, first of all, everything in that is within your control to do. Um, You are producing your podcast, you're delivering that content. And if you do that consistently and with quality and think about it from the perspective of the person who's consuming it and what value you're adding to their life, then I think by doing that, you start to grow your listener base. Chris, what do you think about that? What what does it need to, what do we need to do to get some local share? I think one thing uh, is to make something that nobody else is making. Uh, I, I think the people who listen to my podcast, most of the feedback that I get is, this is a story I've never heard before, um, which is really exciting to hear. And there are lots of new local media initiatives um, that I see. Well, not lots, but I see some local new media initiatives come up that don't seem to have a lot of content that isn't available anywhere else. Um, so I think that is one thing that I've benefited from is people um, largely saying, this is stuff that I haven't heard before. Um, and I, I think I would agree, 
with Katrina that building a tribe helps. Um, I, I hear this done really successfully on some of the Radiotopia things where they, um, they create a community among the listeners by talking them up kind of as like, you're part of our little like secret in group. And isn't it nice that we have this little community together? And, um, yeah, I I think building up people's excitement as being part of a tribe helps. Excellent. Now you both are also involved in independent radio that, uh, that competes against the big players to get Mindshare as well. So are there lessons from uh, CJSR and CKUA that you think can be applied to this other group of people that are kind of fighting with big players to get attention? Yeah, uh, good production um, matters in both mediums. Um, When our shows at CJSR are like consistently well produced when they have consistently interesting stories when they don't have a lot of technical glitches and stuff we do volunteer produced radio um those are the shows that that uh get listeners coming back um and also um we have uh, like you know some cgsr folks in the room uh when um they're doing that same thing of of like having um some like in jokes with their audience consistent things that the audience can come back to and enjoy time over time um those are definitely things that apply across both mediums um yeah, that, that's that, that's just some of the things that would come to mind for me. And I would agree with all of that and, and add, you know, make your community feel like a community. And that's one thing I think CKUA has done a very good job of doing. I hear all the time from people who are connected to CKUA who meet someone else who's connected to CKUA and automatically they have this bond. And it's because they have that really strong sense of community. And that comes back to us in all kinds of ways um, in terms of listenership and funding and, and the fact that we're still here. So I think to the extent that you can do that for whatever community you're trying to serve, that's going to really bode well for you. You both also are listener supported to a certain extent. And so that seems analogous to um, people who, who might have Patreon account or Patreon campaigns or other means of getting their tribe to support them. What wisdom can you share about making sure that you make money on your fund drive? <laughs> Probably the biggest, and this goes back to the delivering uh, the quality and what I say to our team all the time is that the real fundraising doesn't happen in the 20 days a year that we're fundraising. It happens in the other 345 days a year when we're delivering content. So that's part of it. Make sure you're delivering a quality product for people that they feel is worth contributing to. Um, I think be respectful when you're asking. Uh, don't, you know, maybe don't ask too often. One of the things we do in community radio is we set aside times to do our fund drives. And over time, it's become the norm that people know you're doing either one a year or two a year in the case of CKUA. And it happens at this time of year so that you're not consistently asking people mm-hmm. for something. Uh, so I think just be respectful and make sure what you're uh, asking to contribute to is, is worthwhile. Yeah, I would agree. Um, at CJSR, we offer swag for donors as they donate more and more money. Um, but that doesn't really seem to be the prime motivator. I would agree that uh, at CJSR, my experience when I talk to donors is that they support it because 
they listen throughout the year and they think it's important for the city to have something like us. Um, and then when we make the ask, they're, they've they've sort of prepped themselves throughout the year to get ready for it. It's true. There are people who like wait all year long to donate to CJSR. It's pretty neat. Um, so yeah, providing a consistent quality product that they know that they can't get somewhere else and that you've told them that they need to support to, to make it continue happening um, seems to be what works for us. Once I donated to the CJSR fund drive because I just really wanted to thank uh, a guy that from there who had been really nice. And I, so I just randomly donated at a certain time. Um, but it was during the EDM show, like this electronic music that I would never listen to in a million years and say, hey, to thank you, you win all these CDs. <laughs> and I was like, that's okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so you know, you guys know that I am um, totally in the tank for local, but do you think it even matters? Like, why does it even matter if people listen to locally made podcasts? Katrina, I think people want local content. It's interesting, um, and not and not just local news. I know there's been a lot of discussion around local news and lots of local news, and certainly when you ask people, do you want local news? They say yes, and they have. There's a whole economics that needs to be worked out there. Um, I think people want to feel connected to something. And if you can make references that that are local, that make your community feel like they're really inside a community, I think that's really important. So, you know, I think there's always, I believe there's always going to be a place for local because of that. I think listening to local podcasts for me is is one piece of a much larger lifelong pie that I try to work on, which is um, telling stories that make people feel like they belong and they matter. Um, and uh, having local content available for people to listen to on podcasts and having a great base for that, I think, is is one piece of achieving that goal for me of, of making people feel like they're grounded in a place. And for me, that matters because people, uh, I find, stick up for what they feel like they belong to. By the same token, a lot of the podcasts that are in here um, are, they're addressing the world, or at least the fandom of the thing that they talk about from Edmonton. It's not necessarily as important that they are in Edmonton or not, but I, I like it because then I get to meet them. <laughs> Is that important too? Is it important for people from here to be contributing to the larger conversation about something? It's important to me. And, you know, I think about things like, why do we care so much about New York and LA or London or Tokyo? Why do we put these places up on a platform? And it occurs to me it's because we hear so much about these places through the media sources that feed us and tell us that those places are important. Well, Edmonton's important too. And there's a lot of interesting things going on here. There's a lot of interesting people with interesting insights. And I think to the extent that we can foster that and have Edmontonians contribute to that bigger conversation, I think that's really cool. So I do think it's important. We'll take a break and hear from our friends at Castria, and then we'll be back to hear more from our meetup. This episode of Seen and Heard in Edmonton is brought to you by Castria, where award-winning podcasters can help you make your show sound great. I'm here with Castria co-founders Stephen Schapansky and Erica Ensign. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How did you get into podcasting before we get into what Castria is? I got into podcasting over 10 years ago when a friend and I wanted to start talking about Doctor Who. And he knew about podcasting. I did not. So he set it up and I just talked onto a mic once a week with him. And 
10 years later and many other podcasts later, um, here we are. So my life has been podcasting for the better part of a decade or more. Yeah. And I discovered Stephen's podcast about 10 years ago. It was only, I think, the second podcast I ever listened to. And that was a great big part of what inspired me to start my first podcast, which was also a Doctor Who podcast. And I dived in uh, with both feet and uh, have collected a good number of podcasts since then. And it really has been my life ever since. All right. So what can Castria do for people? Podcasting is still sort of an up-and-coming media format on the internet and, and in the world. It's it's gaining popularity. So if you have been podcasting already for a while and you want to improve, or if you want to just take some of the work off of your plate and have somebody else do it for you, we can help with that. Or if you are interested in getting into the realm of podcasting, we can help you uh, plan what kind of a, a podcast that would look like. We can help get it set up from the beginning. And and also, we if you decide you want to be the one who's actually doing the work and all that kind of thing, but you don't know where to start, we can actually train you how to do that and give you tools to keep you going and then you know set you free into the world of podcasting on the internet to do that. In fact, if you are located in Edmonton, we can actually come in person and do the recording for you and the audio engineering to make sure that everything sounds as, as good as possible. And in addition to the audio stuff, there are a variety of other media solutions that we can offer for you. We can do video editing. Um, Both Stephen and I have published essays in a variety of magazines and books about both podcasting and genre properties of different sorts. We have done voiceover work and voice acting, uh, and we can even do uh, copy editing and proofreading on an hourly rate basis. So lots of lots of media solutions to uh, mm-hmm. to offer. And it's also if if you want to do like a personal podcast or something like that, like if something you love, like a show or something like that, it, we, we do work for that. But also if you're a business or something wanting to help promote your 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 brand and your product and your office and stuff. Uh, we think that podcasting is a way to sort of control your advertising message, and so that can be helpful as well. So there's a wide variety of people we can help. Excellent. Uh, thanks for coming to chat with me. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for producing my podcast. <laughs> Anytime. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, visit com to hire Stephen and Erica to help you make your podcast. They help me, and I know they can help you. Castria is C-A-S-T-R-I-A, and they are at wearecastria.com. I have one more question for these folks, but I want to make sure that I get um, give you guys a chance. Do you have a question for them? Um, I was just going to ask um, what the potential value w- would be for podcasting networks. Like, do do any of the, the people in the room here, do you guys shout out each other's podcasts or is there a formal structure whereby you say, you know, we're part of this group, we're, we're six podcasts and we have like a, a, a brand or a name that identifies all of us and, and, and links us to each other so that you get kind of a, a solidarity or something or strength in numbers? Is there is there any movement towards that or is that a potential that you think would be useful? We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could say more. Yes, there is movement towards that. And I do think there's value in that. And I think about, I mean, CKUA Radio Network is kind of the official name of the organization that, that I'm running. And as much as people identify with the individual shows, there's something about being part of a bigger network that allows you to promote the network on a bigger scale. And I think the same is true for podcasting. And you see this a lot in the States right now with the rise of various podcast networks happening there. And they're able to 
cross promote and do all, all of those things that give them a bigger scale. So I do think it's valuable and hopefully we'll have some more good news to share about something that uh, that would fit the bill. Yeah, go ahead. I When I listen to podcasts, podcasts talk about other podcasts in their network, um, the those mentions, uh, they mean the most to me when they sound sincere. Um, when people obviously genuinely care about each other's work. Because um, I, I, I hear on some networks people giving a shout out and it sounds like they're, that's sort of the mandate of the, they're, something they're required to do. But when it's like clear enthusiasm and when Roman Mars is telling me that I need to listen to The Illusionist because Helen Zaltzman is telling a story that's going to change my life and he's listened to it and he loves it, yeah. that matters mm-hmm. to me. So I think that effect um, works well on podcast networks. I want to get Erica to answer this too because you, a lot of your podcasts are part of the Incomparable Network. That's correct. And this actually March is the Incomparable Network's now annual membership drive. Ah. And yeah, we launched membership uh, end of last summer, I think it was. And people who are members can, can get some like extra, extra feeds and extra content that other people don't. And for our membership drive, all of the shows have done, almost all the shows have done at least one member only special. And a lot of those shows have made it a priority to actually like cross over between shows in the network. So it really illustrates what you were just saying, Chris, about sincerely being interested in the different shows. So like Stephen and I do Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network, and we played a ridiculous game show based on what people Google about Doctor Who. And we brought in people from like the Incomparable Flag show to be the players on that game and then anybody who's a member can do that and actually another thing that has been really really helpful for bringing people in is slack i don't know if you're familiar with the uh, you know software that is slack look it up if you you google (laughs) it Um, but we we created a slack team just for incomparable members so it's sort of like a a private social media place where the fans can interact online with all the hosts that they like so much. And I think that as much as anything else has really drawn in members. And I think we're almost to doubling our membership just in March. So awesome. The way to do it. And when you started beginners puck, you started it as an incomparable podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were, we were, it felt weird to read the, uh, to read the membership drive blurb on our very first episode um because actually maybe i think maybe we waited until our second but it was it was just sort of like uh we know that we're new but it would still be really nice if you support us and you're supporting the the network so it was it was a cool thing to come into it at that time because we were able to produce a members only thing that that dropped on you know the feeds of all the special people who are giving us money that Many of those people might not have listened to a podcast about a hockey movie because we talked about Goon, but we brought in a host of one of the other podcasts, Lisa from Phil and Lisa Ruin the Movies, and talked about it with her. So there was a there was a crossover there as well. So yeah, it's it, but it all comes back to what Chris said about being sincere. And for the incomparable, at least it was a network started by a bunch of friends and just expanded. You know, not like headhunting podcasts that are really great, but creating podcasts that are really great made by people that you know we kind of found on the internet can anybody join that network nope nope. (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can you can ask and we get requests all the time and sometimes sometimes jason will say yes i mean it's jason's network this is this is his thing uh jason snell who was the editor of macworld magazine for like 19 years he he sort of is the determiner if it's something that sort of fits into the the style of the network um 
So not every show is something that was created by somebody he already knew. Like he has actively searched for people of, you know, like trying to get more women podcasters involved in the network because that was a thing that, that they didn't have a lot of. So, you know, you can always apply, but the chances of, you know, it, it really has to be a perfect fit because it's kind of, we're our own special kind of quirky weird is basically what it is. So there are a lot of really good podcasts who have asked to be part of the network that just, it doesn't fit, but they're still good podcasts and they're still worth listening to. It's just not going to be under that umbrella. Awesome. Yeah. Can I add one thing on the advantage of being networked? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, my other job is at CJSR, right? Um, so I'm sort of supervisor for 13 different news shows and um, dozens and dozens of uh, news reporters. And um, we host regular like bonus workshops, like extra skills that they can learn, partly so that they can develop their skills, but also so that they meet because um, when people meet organically within the station and they like each other, they help each other out. And it makes um, our all of our shows better because they help each other with production or somebody's like, I have a story idea, you should do a story about this, or I need help with editing this, I don't have any time this week. And I, I see them reaching out to each other. So that is really nice when you're linked to is you have someone to help you out because I'm sure most of you who do podcasts, you do it pretty much alone or with a couple of friends, right? It's it's nice to have someone that you can um, ask tips to or ask for help when you need it. That's also why I make you do that awful go around because I want, well, I, I desperately want to know who's in here and what you have to say, but I also want you to overhear someone and say, well, I, I'm not sure I would listen to that one, but I know somebody who would, and then you can pass them on. So that is the, the little way that we knit our community together as well. Um, my last question, Katrina, is what do you think, what's one thing we could take away from today to go and increase the podcast listening pie for local podcasts? I think going back to that thousand true fans um, piece of advice, I think if, if each of you took that away from here today, and really focused on growing your own podcast listenership, not necessarily directly with that goal, but by putting out quality content that's adding value, then I think all of that knit together will increase the local podcasting pie. Chris? Um, Tap into people who don't already care about podcasting. Like I I would say, just learning from my own experience, um, get them involved in the process of making the podcast either as a voice or in some other role and and they'll be excited um i i I really agree with what you're saying katrina that most people don't care about the medium they just want content that matters to them um so if you get that birder on your podcast you have one more birder who cares about your podcast yeah okay maybe we can get the phone number of that birder and we can all have (laughs) (laughs) okay thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today you can find let's find out on itunes and stitcher and at letsfindoutpodcast.com it's so great i love it so much i Mm -hmm. hope you keep doing it when your laureate ship is over I'm hoping to. Okay, we'll work on that. Um, CKUA Radio is at 94.9 FM at CKUA.com. And I really love uh, an initiative that CKUA did with the Edmonton Public Library called Capital City Records, where they did a, a nice little short podcast where they got somebody from Edmonton to talk about a local track that they really liked, and then they would play that track. Um, so that back catalog is still on iTunes and it's awesome and, and evergreen, I would say. And we're working on season two starting in May. Yay. That's awesome. That's great. We're going to be back here 
on April 30th. Football season's not in yet, so you can still come. (laughs) (laughs) Save the date and watch the meetup page for details on what we're going to be talking about. Thanks for coming. Thanks for tuning in to the Seen and Heard in Edmonton podcast. You'll find links that we mentioned in the show notes at seenandheardyeg.com, and you can subscribe to the newsletter there as well. Join the Edmonton Podcasting Meetup on meetup.com for details on future get-togethers. Thanks for listening. Thank you.